You're listening to the Unframe of Mind show, the place to have the most mind-stretching, unprotected intellectual intercourse of your life. Your host, Daniel Wagner, battles the forces of evil by lobbing fiery balls of truth, reason, and evidence over safe room walls. Looks good. Oh, yeah, new setup, new format, new camera angles. This is great. I don't even know that I need that to have anymore. We got it going on, man. Hey. Uh-huh. How you doing? I'm, shoot, I'm doing great. Suppose, uh, this is the part where we start hanging out. Yeah. And, uh, yeah, this is gonna be fun. So, let's, uh, hop on in and, uh, say, hey, we're, uh, we're on screen, homie. And everybody's watching you playing on your phone and shit. Welcome, I know. I'm just trying to get this out there. Share, go. All right. Let's well, while time. he's while he's over there doing that, I'd like to welcome y'all back to the uh, the Unframe of Mind show. Um, we're here to have uncomfortable conversations without a condom, and I would say tonight's probably going to be one of the more uncomfortable conversations we've had, and I, and I'm I'm greatly looking forward to it. Now, just a little background. Um, Anthony here agreed to tell come on and tell a story. He's he's got a lot of stuff that he wants to t- kind of get out and and let the world know and, and let 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 people be able to learn from. I guess. Yeah. Um. And uh, we were supposed to do this about a couple weeks ago, and he ended up uh, having a, a, an accident at work. Um, matter of fact, uh, if you want to tell him about it a little bit um, and, and just give... Well, I can't know. really go into description because it did happen at work, but it was just an unfortunate accident where I ended up with second and third degree burns on my face. Yeah. Um, it was not the, the most pleasant feeling in the world, and I'm still recovering from it. I've still got some third degree burns that I'm still trying to... Still trying to get over, um, still causing some pain in between my eyes and my eyebrows. So it's, uh, you know, taking it one day at a time. And if you look at me, you can see I'm all shiny. And that's because, well, <laughs> I still got some of the ointment and the treatment on my face to, to help with the burns. Yeah. So, um, you know, wounded soldier here hopping yeah. in, having a conversation with us. He said, <laughs> screw it. Yeah. Last week was pretty bad. I, I tell you what, it, uh, it was one of the situations where it just life was just. It sucked, dude. For when you a solid when you week. when you messaged me and you said, "Well, I'm going to go ahead and, and and try to do the show anyway," I'm like, "You sure? Yeah, yeah." I'm like, "Okay." Yeah. Well, I didn't. When I first seen myself, I was like, "Okay, this isn't so bad." And then I think after 48 hours, and then I I kind of looked at myself, and I was just like. Yeah, that's just not going to happen. Yeah. <laughs> and then my face started to swell up. I couldn't see out of my right eye. And it was just like, that's when I texted you. And I said, no, nah, this just ain't going to happen. We're going to have to wait to do this. Another see, but time. it would have added so. an extra element of like pity to the story. You know, you want oh, you want to like really tug. For me yeah, and- yeah. You want to like tug on their heartstrings <laughs> and really, you know, like a, like a true propagandist. You want right. to really, really get in there. Oh, I could have done it, man. I could have been pulling heartstrings <laughs> left and right. That would have been great. <laughs> um, well, you're doing a fine job already so far. Yeah. So, at any rate, so the reason the reason we're here, just um, we're, like I said, we're gonna we're gonna change the format on you guys a little bit. It's just gonna be me and him talking, no extra guests. Um, and uh, I'm I'm not gonna have the the normal format. It's a little bit different. Just uh, again, if you like it, please share it. Um, you know, hit the like button. Do do you, you know, interact with it and let me know what you think. And uh, if you do like this kind of format and this kind of thing, then I'll try to do more things like it. So, um, that's uh, about all I got for you guys. So. I'm going to redirect my focus 100% on you now, and I'm going to pretend like they don't exist anymore. 
which is weird because we're, we're so used to doing the show together and we interact with people during live chat, you know, yep. so it's uh, it's a little bit different when you have none of that kind of in the background either. And it's not politics. So it's uh, it's a little bit different. this Got, time. Got to look you right in the eyes for this. Right. One. <laughs> so so you sent me some you sent me some questions. Um, I don't know how much I'm going to stick to the questions because I don't really like that. But well, I do. It. I do appreciate you throwing them at me. It'll give me a little something to go on anyway. Um, but I guess we'll, we'll we'll go ahead and just kick it off with what you asked <laughs> me to ask. That sounds weird. Something like that, right? Anyway, you know, a jumping off point, if right. you will. So, so I guess, I guess, just a, I guess we'll start at the beginning. You know, tell me a little bit about your childhood, about you know what it was like for you growing up, and and, uh, and we'll just go from there. For me, uh, born and raised in East Orlando, Union Park, and you know, childhood for me was was not the greatest. Um, you know, my mom she did what she could to be able to support me and my sister. Um, my dad ended up, you know. Uh, divorcing. Actually, my mom and my dad was divorced when I was three, and I did not have a father figure in my life for close to 20-something years. And um, didn't have the greatest childhood. I mean, it was it was probably far better than most, but it had its disadvantages at times. Um, my mom eventually wanted to, to do something to where, you know, me and my sister had a better childhood. Um, a better upbringing, so to speak. And then that eventually led us to, you know, where we're at today, living here in Tennessee. Well, that was so, a hell of a jump. You slow down, son. Right. <laughs> You're just skimming like crazy. And yeah. I know, I know there's a lot more, a lot more to tell than that. So there, there is, um, you know, coming from a very, um, diverse culture living in Orlando because during that time it was a melting pot of a lot of different cultures and going to school with more than just white people. It was, uh, that's my upbringing was being able to see people of color and you know different ethnic backgrounds and it was something that you know i always knew yeah. i didn't know anything different and uh, you know it, it, for me it was it was a it was a great experience but just like any childhood it, it, you know you just don't know what's going to happen one day from the next and like i said you know i mean you know, my folks did their, my folks did their best, or I should say my mom, um, to be able to raise me and my sister and for her to have the opportunity to bring us, you know, up to Tennessee was, uh, was a good thing. Um, but then we found that later on it, it turned out to be more of a challenge. And so from, from Orlando, you moved at what, probably about what age were you then? Uh, at that time I was 10 years old. It was the summer of 91. 91. So. You were 10 at 91. Okay. Right. And you're just a couple years older than me. So yeah, right. I got you. Yeah. So it was, uh, you know, thankfully for my grandparents, they, they kind of, you know, really kind of raised me and my sister, preferably, you know, my grandfather kind of stepped up as the father figure. Yeah. Um, he was very much someone that got me involved with cars um you know he he had a tendency of wanting to go to a lot of car shows and then probably around 94 95 um he purchased his first street rod and because of that it gave me an opportunity to do something with him you know um, when i was down visiting to help him restore you know one of his classics and that for me was a was a pivotal turning point because with not having a father in the picture but my grandfather stepped up to fill that role. Mm -hmm. um, it made me feel good because it kind of shown me uh, the way I guess a man should be or how he should treat others. And, you know, a lot of it is, you know, the way of the world is now is that, you know, you just uh, it's better to have a conversation over the phone the way, you know, when you go out on a date and, you know, the whole um, 
you know, the man's supposed to walk on the outside of the sidewalk. Woman walks. So on your the your grandpa was kind of there to teach yeah, you was what it was of, of, of how, to, how to be a man right. and what to do and how to carry yourself as a man. Right. And he, you know, as I grew up, he always told me just to be who you are, mm-hmm. and don't let things and don't let people change you. And you know, it's often easier said than done. You know, I mean, as we get older, we kind of want to you know, kind of geared towards things that, you know, we want to model after or, you know, think that we are, but we're really not, you know? So, but yeah, my grandfather was a big influence on my life and he played a a huge role, um, in my upbringing. And, you know, I'm, I'm really proud of that, you know, luckily for me at my age, you know, my, both my grandparents are still alive. So So. they they moved your, your, that's your mom's parents. It it is. Yeah. Yeah. So they, you moved from or your mom moved you guys from Orlando around mm-hmm. age 10. You guys are here in Tennessee. The, you, right. I, I assume her family was here already is why she came back or no, we did had they no, come we had up no with family you? in here. We had no family here in Tennessee. Um, all my family's back in Orlando. Oh, so. so how'd your grandparents come into the picture after that? Um, my grandparents came into the picture after 91 in the, in the basic sense of during summer break, I went down to visit and stayed the entire summer. Um, that was of course, when I was helping my grandfather, you know, with his builds with straight rods and things of that nature. So, um, that's where I I kept that close connection with my grandfather. And of course the car shows and and many things that we had done. So So your, your limited exposure to masculinity was kind of like a few summer months when you're out of school and then now you're kick back over here to Tennessee, um, being raised by a single mom, going to a public school, which most of your teachers, I would say, were probably female. Mm-hmm, yeah. um, so, so you kind of had a lot of female influence in your life. You knew all about that. Yeah, because, I mean, that's, that's something that I explain to people today is that I have a lot of female friends. Yep. And it, it wasn't by design. It was just, it just so happened to work out that way because of my upbringing of being around my grandmother, my sister, my mom. You know, had a lot of women that were influencing my life. So it just kind of naturally, you know, geared me in that direction of being closer to, you know, to women than it did with men. Um, But I did have a lot of a lot of guys that were, you know, friends of mine later on in life. It just that was just kind of my upbringing, what I was, you know, exposed to. So. So then. Let's say let's let's uh, what do you say we move on up to what eighteen or so or like when when did you when did you finally like move out or start you know becoming your own person if you will um eighteen early on it was uh it was kind of a not a bad situation my mom was dating a guy that you know obviously didn't want anything to do with kids um, I was still living at home and you know. The problems between my mom and her boyfriend at that time had caused a lot of friction and a lot of problems within the house. Mm-hmm. So I did eventually move out. Um, that was, I think, right around the age of 19. Um, struggled off and on. I was working for a company and things didn't work out. And I ended up living in my car for about six months and really didn't want to tell my mom what oh, was wow. going on. And, you know, I just, I didn't want her to feel like I couldn't, you know, you, you kind of feel like you have something to prove to your folks. You want them to see that you can do something and excel in life and never have them worry about you. So I kept it from my mom. It's kind of, um, it's kind of scary that you, you would prefer to live in your car for six months than to go admit, Hey, I need some help to your own mom. Yeah, it was a pride thing, you know, and you, you don't want your folks worrying about you. But then eventually I had to explain to my mom what was going on. Um, and of course, I ended up moving back in with her um, in my early 20s. Um, during that time, things for my life got a little kind of out of control. But um, but the other part, going back to the earlier part of my childhood, 
you know, in the fourth grade and something we had, we kind of skimmed over this, but for me, being from Orlando, talking about the melting pot of where I come from, then moving to Mount Juliet, Tennessee back in 91, you know, racial things in my life have never been evident. And I've always, you know, tell people that where I come from, it was so, it was so culturally, you know, culturally mixed that when I moved to Mount Juliet, it was like, wow, I'm going, I'm living in a, in a place that's predominantly white people and to be, you know, a darker complected, you know, child, I didn't know how well this was going to go over. Actually, I didn't think anything of it at all. I thought it was just a part of life and, you know, okay, well, this is a different time in my life. (laughs) This is my new environment. This is where we're going. Right. And it (laughs) was, it was a culture shock for me. It was, it was legitimately different to see a lot of white people and not that him, not that many Hispanics, mm-hmm. um, Jamaicans, Puerto Ricans, um, people that I'm used to growing up around, and to see a school that was predominantly white people right. was a bit of a culture shock. That, that kind of reminds me of when I was coming up from South Dakota. We used mm-hmm. to live in Rapid City, South Dakota, or Box Elder, it's a little smaller town next to it. Right. Predominantly white. I think mm-hmm. I knew one black kid. You know, he was cool. I didn't. I didn't care. I didn't know nothing about it. Anyway we come down to um, uh, t- uh, Wichita, Kansas mm-hmm. and I'm, I'm sitting there thinking, you know, the plains of Kansas, like it's, <laughs> I had no idea it was a metropolitan area, yeah. black people, Mexicans, like everywhere. I'm like, this is different. I didn't know what to it's like a culture shock. Like what you, mm-hmm. what you were saying, I remember getting on the bus the first day of school and um, this, this nice young lady, her name was angel. Um, we became friends later, but um, she, she was trying to talk to me, but it was such, such thick, like accent. Mm-hmm. <laughs> like I could not understand anything they were saying. Right. <laughs> like what in the world? Um, but then there was one other white kid on the bus that day and I was, he was kind of dorky looking. I was not going to sit next to him. So but, it sounded uh, like our, our roles were kind of, yeah, yeah, it was, it was backwards. You know? Yeah. So it yeah. was a little different. So, so I didn't mean um, to interrupt. Go ahead. Go ahead. No, it, it's fine. So in the fourth grade, it, it's a situation that's kind of always stuck with me, believe it or not. But, um, I can remember being in class now, obviously with doing this show, I'm not giving out any names and, you know, places of where certain events took place, but the hell you um, ain't, I'm I had still- a, I had a kid that kept calling me a nigger because I was darker complected. Um, I didn't quite understand the reference at that time. I didn't know what it meant. I didn't know the meaning behind it. I just didn't understand why this kid kept calling me a name. Well, it just so happened that my fourth grade teacher was also black and she pulled us out of the class wanting to know why we were disrupting, you know, the class. And I explained to her, I said, you know, and it's, and it's crazy because I, I, I remember every bit of what happened. Like it's still so fresh in my mind. Hmm. And, you know, I said, well, you know, he keeps calling me a nigger and I don't understand what that means. And the look on her face was just, I mean, it was priceless. It was like she didn't know how to react to that. So we had to go to the principal's office. Um, That was my first of what would be eventually many situations that I had to go through with racism. And I, I never, you know, racism doesn't just fall when it comes to just black people. Or, you know, and I think that's a misconception that a lot of people tend to get is that it only falls with one demographic and it doesn't. And And to be honest, it might not even been necessarily racism as much as you're just different from them. And they're trying to find a way to, you know, make sure they you know where your box is. And this is our box. That might have been just ignorant kids just trying to, you know, pick on you, of course, and bully you and and then and try to say hurtful things. And and that was the word that that, that they know hurts the worst. And well, he's darker than us. So that that's the one we're going to 
years. I mean, yeah, and like I said at that time, I, I had no idea what the uh, the word meant. Um, yeah. My my family, my mom, especially, never raised me and my sister um, to really see color, but rather individuals. And and uh, I had a lot of friends of of different backgrounds as a kid growing up, and I loved that. Mm-hmm. And I actually kind of missed it because it's something I didn't have when I moved here to Tennessee. So. As I got a little bit older, got into junior high and high school, I started to experience a little bit more with racism from being called a wetback, sand nigger. Um, I dated a black girl back in high school. And yeah, I mean, that just kind of fueled the, the fire of, of things to come. And it, it was very unfortunate because, you know, when you, when you try to be yourself, when you try to not to see people in such a negative way, and now that you understand what racism is, it was very hard. And so when I had dated this this black girl, I almost kind of felt like I, I I couldn't say anything. And there was a situation we went to a bowling alley, and it almost it, it made me feel like I couldn't hold her hand because I didn't want people to you know to discriminate her and I yeah, yeah. for being together. And it, it eventually it ended the relationship. You know, well. I wouldn't call a relationship back in high school, but it, it, it broke it. It broke us up and it was very unfortunate because we got along great. Yeah. But because the, the race issue was such a, a dividing factor, not for us, but for outside influences, it destroyed something that was actually something I thought was very enjoyable and it sucked. It, it really did. It bothered me for quite a few years, you know, and it's just, um, can't do nothing about it. All you can do is just move on and hope that, hope that those people that you grew up with that, you know, called you the names and, and picked on you or, or said certain things. I hope that as they've gotten older, they realize what they've done. They've gotten more, more wise. And yeah, (laughs) I I mean, hopefully I hope they became better people and realized what they did was, was not with good intentions Yeah, and that it had affected somebody such as myself, even to this day. And, you know, I I still talk about it from time to time. I really don't yeah, I've, there, I've told you. I've so. told you this before. Like that, that blows my mind to even think that that would even be a thing. Because you know, I, I, guess, I guess when you're in a town of, of like super white people and your complexion is just a little bit darker than theirs, I guess I could see that why they would do that. But like as I met you, it never even like literally never even crossed my mind that you might be whatever race you. I like your race never played a part in my mind. <laughs> like right. you're you're fucking Anthony. Right. Like that's all I knew you as. I it never. I know you told me earlier today you, you're actually Italian. So. Mm. It's like, oh, okay, and then <laughs> I don't, that doesn't really hold any bearing on our relationship. No, but it's just no. it's kind of interesting that, that that played such a role in your childhood. I wouldn't even never even imagine that you know that would have had anything to do with it at all. I mean, I would have assumed he's Italian, maybe he's white. I don't know. Yeah, well, unfortunately, back but, then things were a little bit different, and um, you know, and just kind of seeing where we're at today in society with racism, you know, it, it often kind of draws you back to what you went through. Right. And, and uh, certain situations that have happened. And, yeah, I know there was, there was a know, time so. in history when, you know, the Italians were the new guys on the block and they were the ones getting called names. Um, um, then I know there was a time when the Irish people were the, the new kids on the block and they were also getting, they were, they were actually getting called nigger too. Like, like well, th- they this were is, also lynched as well. A lot of people yeah. don't know that Italians and, and like there was and a lot Irish. of racism toward Irish. <laughs> like right. it's just the new, the new people that come in, everybody freaks out and acts like they're, you know, the outsiders and they get, you know, jostled and made fun of and mm-hmm. picked on and abused and everything else. Yeah. So that was, uh, something that I had to, uh, that I kind of experienced early on, um, it never set the tone. Now, I, I shouldn't say that entirely, but it kind of brought the onset of depression early on for me with moving to a new city, 
new town, new people, mm-hmm. trying to make friends, dealing with the racism, so to speak. And, you know, for me, it, it just kind of became too much. You know, I, I became somewhat of a problem child um, for my mom and, you know, didn't make life any easier for her because I know now looking back, it was just as much a transition for her as it was for me. Mm-hmm. And I never made life easy for her at all. And, you know, there was a situation where things had gotten so out of control, I decided that I was, you know, um, suicide was a better option. Um, I felt like I was causing problems and um, I didn't know how to handle life in certain situations during that time. So there was a prescription of pain meds and and I took the whole damn thing. There was about 40 something uh, pain pills in that bottle. Um, I was rushed to Summit Medical Center. They ended up pumping my stomach and um, it was not even two years later. I decided to drink as I, about as much as I possibly could, you know, to numb everything that was going on. And obviously that didn't work out so well. So I'm still here, obviously. So the, right. the two failed attempts at suicide um, is something I've, I've never really discussed. I've never really brought up. Um, the only people who knew of the situation was my mom and my sister. Yeah. Uh, nobody else knew of, of kind of that dark area um, for so long that I've kind of, I went down uh, because of the racism and because of the dealings of the way people had treated me when I moved up here on top of it being a new town, not having any friends. It, it just had become so much at, at one time you as a child you just didn't know what to do you honestly had so how 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 old were you when you attempted that first time uh the first time i believe i was either 13 or 14 13, years 14, old yeah. yeah the drinking didn't happen until later that a lot of that was uh problems um with school and and uh with my folks and of course the guy that my mom was dating at that time and he wasn't uh he wasn't the best role model for for children he didn't want kids yeah. um i i still to this day never understood why my mom was ever with him i you know that's that's between the two of them but you know I, so let's 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 talk a little more about your mom because i'm i'm kind of curious what her storyline looks like through this Hi, whole mom, thing too. love you <laughs> yeah go ahead that's it yeah. <laughs> i'm oh, just i'm just kind of um, curious because um you know I'm, I'm here i'm hearing a lot of what you're talking about yeah and it seems like at no point in this at all does your mom get any blame. Like you know, I, I, don't, I don't know, I, maybe it's not. It's not that I'm trying to blame my mom for anything because I honestly felt like she did her absolute best with raising two children, and then she was with a guy that didn't want to have anything to do with kids. Um, yeah, see, see, it's just kind of passive language that you're using. It's, it's right. as a, he, she, she was with a guy, not she chose a guy. Like, no, she chose a guy, yeah, and that, I mean, that was something. And and you know, we've me and my mom have had these conversations. Now, mind you, and understand where I'm at in my relationship with my mom, my mom and dad today, is not a reflection of my past. If that makes sense, my relationship with my folks today is probably the best it's ever been. This is just a, a point in time of my life that things were just not good. Um, sure. and, and this is no way of trying to throw my mom under the bus, you know, like I said, or my dad, it, it really isn't. It, it's to explain and to kind of get it out there for anybody who has ever had parents or been in situations like this, that maybe they can relate to it. My mom had a tendency of, of choosing men over her children. Yeah. Um, I mean, I mean, I, the, I don't know why even, even I, the I, first, I the first guy she chose to have a child with, you know, you're, you're the oldest. Yeah. Yeah. 
and and that relationship was over by the time you were three years old. Mm-hmm. That's um, my father. Yeah. Yeah. And and what what happened to him? I mean, where's he at in this whole? Um, my father. You know, according to my mother. Don't worry. Uh, we'll, we'll go back to your mom. I'm curious, but I just want to try to keep no, these no, it, storylines all. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I, I get what you're saying. Um, the relationship between my mom and my dad was was a uh, was a very toxic one. Um, it was one that was not conducive for either one of them. And at that time they had simply divorced, moved on. Um, my mom had kept, um, me and my sister from my dad. Um, according to my dad and and the conversations I've had with him, he has tried to keep in touch or try to reach out to, to have a relationship with me and my sister. Now, because of the things that I had learned as I gotten older about my father, Mm -hmm. I had, I had harbored a lot of resentment towards my dad. Um, for the simple fact that, you know, he wasn't around, you know, a lot of baseball, basketball dates, things that I grew up in life. I did not have a father figure. Now, mind you, knowing what I know now, it, it, it kind of when you think back to the way things transpired, you know, it's very unfortunate that he wasn't able to have a relationship with me or with my sister. He had a little bit one. He had a little bit of a relationship with my sister, but it wasn't to the extent that he was predominant in her life to be somewhat of an inch of, you know, influence. Is, is it that he her. wasn't able to have a relationship with you or is it because he was kept from having a relationship? He with was you? kept from having a relationship yeah. with me and my sister. But I also kind of wonder if at times selfishly it, you know, if my dad didn't give up, because he wasn't able to have a relationship, you know, with me and my sister. And I, I, you know, these are conversations that I'm still having with both my folks to this day and trying to get through them and trying to talk about them, trying to, you know, to understand things a little bit better. I never gave my dad the benefit of the doubt. I never gave him the opportunity to talk to me and to hear his side of the story. And as I've gotten older, you know, I felt that it was important for him to put it out there and tell me what his thoughts were and what really happened and hear his side of the story. Because for so long, all I heard was my mom's. Right. And, 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 what, and what was what was her version of things? What was what was she telling you as a as a as a child? Um. He was just, you know, he was an alcoholic and he was very, you know, he was very abusive. Um, I don't, again, this is, this not, this does not depict my parents of who they are today. They are much better people. They're in better places. Yeah. You've, you've made that point. Yeah. I, I just, you know, it, well, I mean, <laughs> you're really, you're not, really being protective here and I'm trying to get you to open up your heart here yeah, I know, and, and I not know. have to try to manage their feelings in this yeah. conversation. I, I, I need you. I need to talk to you it, it, <laughs> and, um, and not try to manage their emotions in this. If they can't handle what your honest to goodness experience of your childhood was, that's maybe another conversation you guys need to have. Well, I guess it comes from the the extent of I I have tried to build a better relationship with my mom and with my father up to this point that I don't want anything I don't want to do anything to set it back. You know what yeah. I'm saying? But I also feel like I need to say something because for so many years I've I felt like I've had to listen to my dad's side. I've had to listen to my mom's side, but nobody's ever asked me how does how does this affect you? Wait, neither one of them have been like curious no. and asked you like I had I just had this conversation. What was that like for you coming dad. up? <laughs> right, I just had this conversation with my dad about three weeks ago, and this this was before we had the conversation of doing this show. Yeah. And the one thing I told my dad is that neither one of you ever took the time to ask me how did this affect you. How did what I did or your mother did, how did it affect you? Nobody has ever asked me that. Not once. So, so I got the sense that the conversations were uh, that you did have with them were like them just trying to defend their decisions right. and defend exactly. their story and defend themselves. And yeah. 
Yeah, and, and that's all I've heard because I guess because and I wouldn't say the hate, but the the level of dislike towards one another has always kind of kept them on that defensive side of things. And I, every time we've had conversations about the past or you know my upbringing, it was them defending themselves. But so, there was so never then, any conversation of them asking me, "Well, how did this affect you?" Yeah. Well, see, what I'm what I'm what I'm wondering is because it, it sounds it sounds to me like you're taking this whole uh, the fact that all these kids picked on you and they were mean to you and right. caused you to be depressed and and you're kind of like blaming that. And I don't think that's the problem. I think that's a symptom of the problem mm-hmm. because bullies have a tendency to be able to spot the weak the, the weakling in the group. You know, they have a tendency to to find the guy that doesn't have a very good relationship with their parents right. and hone in on that and then take their own frustrations at, at their shitty upbringing on that kid, right. you know, and, and you just happened to been that kid. You were an easy target. And if you well, had a strong, I got in high school and I got a lot bigger, a lot bigger, right? You're a pretty big dude. So, I mean, I'm sitting there thinking, you know, if, if you had a good relationship with them coming up, um, in this case, it'd been your mom. Cause she was the one responsible for you at that time. Um, mm. then the first thing you would have done is gone and talked to your mom and these, and these kids would have known, Hey, this dude has a good relationship with his mom. Like you can kind of tell, you know, right. you, you just need to carry yourself differently. Like I, I, I had a pretty good relationship with my parents. I never got bullied. You know, I got picked on a little bit, no, nothing crazy. Yeah. Um, never got in a fight, you know, nothing. It's because I was not an easy target. <laughs> People, I was able to, you know, my, my, my mom taught me how to deal with these situations as they come up and mm. they, they never even came up very seldom occasion but i almost wonder if how things would have been different for you if you would have been able to go to your mom and say and have these conversations like listen this i'm going through this shit right now you know i i I suspect that there was some part of you that felt like it would kind of fall on deaf ears yeah i and and that was kind of the the extent of it a lot of it was just trying to to suppress a lot of my feelings as far as the things that i went through now mind you after the first attempt of suicide with the pills I was uh, directly uh, admitted into um, uh, Centennial um, Medical Center for up to, t- I think it was two weeks. Right. And I was placed on suicidal watch. And this happened uh, when I was a child, or I guess early teen. And, you know, because of that, it, it kind of got me involved in groups to be able to open up and talk about things. But I still was at that point where I could not have those conversations with my mom. And I, I didn't want to have them because I felt like I became more of a burden um, to her with everything that she's trying to do for both me and my sister. And, you know, she was having her issues with my sister as well, yeah. um, not just with me. And that's but that's the sad thing. I mean, that's that that should be the first place you should be able to go is your parents. I mean, yeah. you agree with that. Mm-hmm. And and the fact that you felt like, you know, your problems as as, you know, terrible as they were, were still going to be too much of a burden for your mom to deal with. You felt like, you know, you, you told me earlier, you know, she kind of put these other men ahead of her own children like they right. were more important. And I think on some level you knew that the whole time the whole time you know yeah and, and then as you know things have progressed you know progressively have gotten and or you know i guess as we moved on um from the past things my relationship with my mom has been you know absolutely great i mean we still had our our moments where we didn't speak but you know it, it's still a building process between me and my yeah. mom so what, what's um, what's changed since then i mean how do you, do you feel like she's been able to make restitution for for all for all that and you feel like you i i've i've learned to my mom's very abrasive she's got that italian just when she talks to you she has a tendency of talking at you and she doesn't mean any harm behind it and 
and for God's sake, this woman has no filter whatsoever. And anybody I've ever dated that's been you know around my mom, my mom is very direct and and will put you on the spot and in the hot seat. She has no filter. She doesn't understand the difference of being able to talk to somebody that I'm dating versus me. And you know, I've had folks kind of be me just like wow, what was her, why was she like that? And I'm like, well, you have to understand, that's just my mom, that's just the way she is. I know that now, but I've also learned how to, uh, how to um, not necessarily control my mom, but I've learned how to manage her. I know that I can take my mom in increments. I can't, I have a hard time um, being Man- my mom. Wait, manage her or manage your exposure to her? Um, probably both. <laughs> okay, because manage your um, exposure to her is one thing. Managing her is a completely different thing, and that's yeah. not a good relationship make. <laughs> No, I mean, you shouldn't have to manage somebody else. Like, like you, you and me sit here talk, and and we get along fine. We we do these shows together. We hang out. I don't. I never have to felt like I have to manage your emotions or manage you well, at all. I, I feel like I have to. I I have to watch what I say. I have to be careful with how I say things. Um, and I I've also understood with my mom. You know, it's one of the situations where over time you understand the level of the conversation where it can go. So I, I've learned early on, or actually I should say later on, that okay, when I start to see a you know conversation being brought up, I can tell you right now that I'm just gonna look at you or look at my mom and just like, all right, mom, I got you. So, okay. like so you're I, talking I, about, I've like these, these to, certain landmine conversations, you have right. to tiptoe around and. And, and yeah. be careful not to step on them. We can talk about things like the weather and how, you know, your sister doing and your new boyfriend, but we can't talk about the important stuff that actually matters to Anthony. Yeah. Is well, that, is that it, fair assessment? Kinda, well, it's a fair, yeah, fair assessment, but it also too, it's one of those situations where my mom will get on a kick with something, whether it's energy drinks or whether it's me smoking or whatever the case might be. And she means so well. She's only looking after me and my best intentions and wants to see me live a very fulfilling life. Sure. But when she gets on these she kids. totally wants to see that. That's yeah. why she picked a shitty guy to have a kid with and then left him three years later. Well, yeah. <laughs> I, all I'm saying is. Totally wants the best for you. I understand. Well, as, as things. Sorry. You sense a little sarcasm. In my- I, I did. But as things gotten, you know, um, further in life, you know, it's just we have learned to. I can stand up to my mom and I can shut her down and tell her, look, until you start talking to me correctly mm-hmm. rather than at me, I'll have a conversation with you. And it's not manipulation. It's letting her know I'm not going to be talked to that way. Right. Anymore. Now, that's good. That's a healthy setting of boundaries. That's exactly. So by doing that, 20 minutes later, after I've hung up a phone, my mom will either text me or call me and mm-hmm. she'll apologize. So that's progress. My mom is not used to doing that. She's not used to apologizing. She's not used to texting me and saying, okay, I'm sorry. I shouldn't have said that. I shouldn't have reacted. She right. is still learning. Even at her age and even at my age, we try to make the best relationship we possibly can. And we, st- we, we continue to work at it. Now, my father, on the other hand, that's there's a whole ground zero that we're still trying to build from now, now before we move into that I, I i do you know if if you are trying to build a relationship with your mom and you guys are getting along fine and she right. is showing growth in this area i you know if you can make it work out by all means i'm, I'm happy for you i'm yeah. just i'm just concerned that the the amount of restitution that's needed it may not ever be met that you may always have her kind of walled off at least somewhat in your life 
Um, I do to a certain extent, so she doesn't have to worry about me because I do live in Tennessee now, and and she's back in Florida. So there is a, the distance that I have to kind of keep in mind when it comes to certain situations. Oh no, no, I meant like I meant like a certain level of openness that you're probably never going to fully achieve with her. I like, won't. Yeah, there's there's I won't. like like you might get eighty percent. That that's probably being pretty generous, but um, you're never going to be a, be able to be a hundred percent open and honest and just have that relationship that no. I think you might be looking around. I am curious: is this kind of behavior something that you would put up with from anyone else? As far as like relationship wise, I mean, um, just in in general, is it? I mean, like if, if if a friend of yours was behaving in this kind of way, or well, I, I've I was actually married to someone for five you know five years that was very uh, emotionally and and uh, mentally abusive. I'm not saying my mom was, but yeah. I also learned how to tiptoe around my ex wife because of the way she talked to me or treated me. So. I would almost say that that kind of geared me up to be able to better handle my mom for later on. And, you know, eventually I did get out of that marriage. It was, uh, it was very unhealthy, healthy, very toxic. Um, but I learned that there was certain, there was things about me that I could be able to do to, to kind of tiptoe and kind of maneuver myself around certain things to avoid conflict. Yeah. So I'm, I'm always, I'm always curious about this is like when people talk about these terrible relationships they had, like what, right. where was, like what kind of community did you have around you? Like, like where was your, your, either your parents or your family members or your best friend or something grabbing you by the shoulders and, 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 and telling you, dude, no, no, don't fucking marry her. She's a piece of shit. <laughs> like, you know, I'm sure, you know, she was pretty hot as well, <laughs> and you were thinking with one body part alone, but that's what, that's what, that, that's what that community around you is supposed to be for is to like be, be your backup, you know, notice when you have the penis blinders on and say, dude, dude, I can see the whole forest, of the trees. And you're looking at the one little knot hole. <laughs> I, I will say this, that there was two people in my life besides my, my mom that did that were, they were highly concerned about the person I was with. Um, one of them was a very long time friend of mine still is. And he was concerned the direction in which that relationship was headed. Um, another individual, this, this before you got married, this was before I got married. Um, actually one of my best man at my wedding, when we were sitting in the room before the ceremony, you know, he, he kind of grabbed me by the shoulder and he looked at me and he said, you don't have to do this. Now at that point we had invested more than $30,000 into this wedding and I felt like I had to do it. Oh, sunk cost fallacy. Yeah. Yeah. That's, <laughs> yeah. that's what it turned into. We had a lot of people come in for this wedding. Like that's it was the an most event. literal application of the sunk cost fallacy I've probably ever heard of. Well, it, but it's true. I, I just, I, I was kind of backed into a corner with my ex-wife to where I felt like I couldn't get out. Like she had a way of manipulating me, controlling the finances, everything of my life she controlled. And I felt like if I, walked away from our our uh wedding day yeah that would have gone extremely bad and i and i kind of thought to myself okay well maybe if we get married you know things might settle down well it kind of took a turn for the worse and actually went went bad so (laughs) (laughs) but you know it's one of those situations where you know i did i was i was very much in a position where one of my best men came to me he sat me down he talked to me and I can, this is another point in my life that I can remember. And he was like, you don't have to do this. And, and like, why didn't you listen to, you said, you said, I three. think it was just for the, because of the investment that I had made when you, when you work as much as I did during that time yeah. to put on 
this thirty thousand dollar wedding to give somebody everything that they ever wanted. I mean, my God, this this <laughs> like, was a production but what, show. But what about what you wanted? I I've never again again it's the same pattern that just keeps showing up. What about what you wanted? I've never cared about what I've wanted as long as that the people closest to my life are happy. I've always kind of set aside my personal. Um, happiness to ensure I, I found my happiness in seeing others happy is, is, is I guess what I'm saying and and I was always okay with that and I never understood as to why um, I still do it to this day yeah um, that, that I mean that that kind of personality trait is a good thing so long as you have some kind of boundaries though but it sounds but like I, sounds like uh, you didn't have any great education yeah. in how to set boundaries uh, <laughs> you had to learn those the hard way yeah I did and then of course you know as we we got married um, things just kind of went really downhill um, my mom was totally against uh, me marrying her and and uh, over time the, the the small circle of my friends, they knew what was going on, but so that's, beyond that's, that's that small interesting circle, too. that's interesting too. Your mom was dead set against this this marriage; yeah. didn't want it to happen, but you didn't listen. Well, I, because I felt like you know, why should I listen to my mom when she made some bad choices in her life when it came to marrying people? Why, why are you want to criticize who I married? Exactly. That's, how I felt. that's see how that works, right? <laughs> I so, mean, I know you do, but I mean, for the audience, I mean, just you got to see how that works. Yeah. Like, so it was, it, it was a situation. Like when it when like it comes that. down to a situation where you're like, okay, I. I I, as an adult, in your mom's case, I see that he's about to marry somebody they should not be marrying. But at the same time, I've made such shitty decisions before that, you know, it doesn't hold any weight. Like, you know, you mm-hmm. want you want to have that consistency in, in your principles and your morals and, and mm-hmm. pick, you know, proper and have the community around you to help, you know, because she, she, I'm sure she went through the same shit where, you know, she yeah. ended up marrying a, a, a shitty guy that, you know, was an, I don't know if he really was an alcoholic or if your mom was just saying he was. But no, my dad was an alcoholic. He uh, that was very well documented in our family, and yeah. So the question um, for that yeah. for me there, you know, if I was sitting, if she, if she was the one sitting here in the chair, I'd be asking her, you know, where was your parents at? Where was your community? Um, how come they let you walk right into that trap? You know that, that yeah. that's that's not great. I mean that that's a that's a that's a big sign that there's not a strong emotional connection between the people that you're supposed to be close to well and by doing this show it gives me the opportunity to say something without having to them have them interrupt me my mom and my dad and i'm constantly hearing you know them defend their actions and what they did i i needed to say something they need to watch this they need to hear me they need to see how it affected me on a very personal level and what it was like for me growing up and it's not to make them feel bad it's to understand that at 37 years old to this day neither one of them have asked me how how things affected me and and how do do you feel like you've come along today i I mean do you feel like you're still suffering with a lot of that shit or still trying to kind of deal with it or you feel like you've kind of grown past all that i've grown past a lot of it um and i think the reason why that is is because i had to accept a lot of things in my life that i that i I felt like I didn't have to, but I needed to in order to move on. Mm-hmm. Um, it has made me a better man. It's made me a better father. I have a great relationship with Kelly. Um, taking away from what happened between my mom and my dad and my dad being absent has, has allowed me to always focus on my relationship with my daughter. At 11 years old, at Kelly's at now, I was going through a hard transition in my life. I was moving up to Tennessee, or I was in Tennessee at this point at her age, and I can just vividly, rem- I, I mean, I can really remember what all I went through during that transition of my life. Mm-hmm. And Kelly doesn't have that. Um, 
I'm, she has her father. She has her mother. We have a great relationship. I have a great relationship with her mom. We get along great, but it's always been with Kelly in mind, you know. And and so what, um, well, I'm, I'm just curious if you guys are getting along so well and you're so great right now. Why aren't you guys together? No, that's just. Uh, it was one of those situations when we got divorced. We were just totally two different people. That we got together early on and back in my early twenties and. It was one of those situations where it really didn't seem to flow for us, and we just eventually parted ways. All right. Um, so, so we were young. It didn't seem to flow. We were two different people. Uh, that just sounds like complete hogwash and excuses. No, that was actually the truth. I'm really looking we, for something a little deeper here. <laughs> no, I mean that. <laughs> or was I that the lo- give you was, more, was that just the logic of a twenty year old trying to? No, it was just she had different she had different areas of her life that she wanted to go. I had different areas of my life that I wanted to go, and they just didn't seem to align at all. And, and, and you guys we put were, your goals ahead of Kelly's in this case. Um, I wasn't in love. I mean, because because I, I ideally the best thing for your daughter would have been for her parents to stay together. It's the safest. Um, place for any kid to be or you know well I was I I I realized as I had gotten older I was no longer in love with her mom right and I wasn't going to find myself in a situation to where I was going to stay with somebody because of a child so that's not conducive for me so what like like like, I I mean I I get you don't you know you're not in love with her but I mean you did make the decision to you know do the do you had a kid with her you have a very you have a responsibility to that kid before you have responsibility anybody else I know I'm putting you putting the screws to you here but um, it's it's just I I would just argue that the things that the excuses you kind of gave and threw out there are are very again it 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 repeats that pattern that you got so angry at your mom for in, in a way and maybe that needs to be something to consider as well. Um, the fact that you kind of put your own needs ahead of your, your daughters the well, same way again, your mom did with these men over, well, the, over you know, how she felt. Then I would have felt like my mom was, and I would have felt like what my mom had done, that I was choosing to stay with somebody who wasn't good for me. Um, my ex-wife, Rachel's, or um, not Rachel, Kelly's mom, mm-hmm. we were just uh, on two different paths in life. And that was okay. I was okay with it. She was okay with it. It was agreed upon. But we always wanted to make sure that we protected Kelly. And Kelly was very young at that age. So this is the only relationship that she has ever seen between me and her mom. And it's been a good one. We get along great. So as long as we get along great, we're there for Kelly. She's taken care of. Kelly has, she's had a wonderful life. Yes. Don't get me wrong. I've I've met, I've met your daughter and she's fantastic. Mm -hmm. She's very well behaved, well-mannered, you know. Um, has a nice attitude like yours, a little sassy, <laughs> a little sassy, <laughs> you know, and that's to be expected from a, from a young lady by her yeah. age. Um, I just, I, I would, I would caution you to make sure you're having those conversations with her oh, and, and yeah. keeping that, those lines of communication way, way open, even yeah. to the point where she, you know, she's able to look at you and, and, and fault you for the things you did. And you're like, yeah, I get and, it. I get and it. I'm hope, sorry. You know, the one thing I've always, I've, uh, I've been, ha- have you, have now. you apologized to her for that or? Um, is this has this been a, a topic of discussion between you guys yet no, or is she even curious yet no because I, I think because her upbringing has always been with her you know with me and her mom always you know been separated and this is all she's ever known yeah. and when she sees us getting along which we do and, and when she sees me and her mom sitting together at soccer games she loves it it doesn't face her it doesn't be bother her shit, though. 
Uh, no, not really. I mean, if, I'm just if trying you, to picture like look, my parents are, aren't together, but they seem to really like each other. They seem to be well, getting along. Well, I think like, as <laughs> I think as as Kelly gets older, I will then have those conversations with her and yeah. I'll explain to her that you know what, baby, it didn't work out between me and your mom, but we're good friends. But I encourage you to always know that you know what you want in life. And if you're not happy and, you know, you, you pursue the things that make you happy in life and, and don't stay with somebody for the wrong reasons, because ultimately you're not going to be happy. You're going to drown yourself in misery. So I had to take a little bit of my own uh, my own words and think about that when it came to, you know, obviously right. my, my second marriage. And unfortunately, oh, and Kelly, also d- probably don't have kids until you're absolutely sure you're with the right person. <laughs> right. <laughs> probably well, don't do that. I, I mean, you have to consider the circumstances. Um you know, how I met Kelly's mom was in the very different, um, very different <laughs> way of life. What's this about? <laughs> uh, I, I will put it to you this way. Her mom was in the entertainment business. Um, we'll leave it at that because I don't ever want Kelly really knowing what all her mom did. Um, and before I met her mom, it, you know, I was... You know, like I said, I wasn't the best looking kid in the world, so I kind of used my personality to kind of get what I wanted. And that was when I earned, when I learned that early on, I used it to my advantage and I started to to really date some very beautiful women. And when I figured out that, that my charm and and my personality seemed to work and get me what I wanted, Mm -hmm. I kept doing it, kept doing it. Next thing you know it, I'm dating these beautiful women. I'm going to these, these sex parties, these swinger parties and all this was before Kelly and, of course, her mom, but that's what led me up to meeting her mom. Right. Was because of the the lifestyle that I lived and the things that I went through and the people I had met and, yeah. A whole a underworld of, of a whole bunch of people making shitty what, decisions. Back then, <laughs> if people only knew how big the sex scene was in Tennessee, it would blow your fucking mind. I had no clue at that time myself either, and when I was exposed to it, it was it become an addiction for me. I had became addicted to women and I had became addicted to that lifestyle. And it was, you know, this went on for about three years. So for me, it was just, uh, (laughs) you know, I think meeting her mom kind of settled me down and wrote me into, okay, you got that out of your system. Let's move on with life, you know, and just kind of go from there. So that's, yeah. <laughs> what in the world? But her mom, but I tell <laughs> you what, Lord. though, and, and, and I tell you what, she has a wonderful mother that has always done the best that she can with Kel. I have always backed her um, if she needed something here or, or there. You know, I mean, it's just we have made it the, the most healthiest relationship we possibly can. And it's evident when you see Kelly with me, when you see her around me, when you see her interact with me. She loves her dad. She loves mm-hmm. her mom. She's got a great childhood. But I've always told her that and the, if there was it, anything that she ever wanted to talk about, yeah. that she was always welcome to do it. Now, that backfired on me this past February for a conversation I wasn't ready for. And Kelly had just turned <laughs> Let 11. Let me throw in real quick. It is, it is great. I'm assuming that neither one of you are shit-talking the other one. No, so that, that uh, definitely helps a lot because then yeah. then, then uh, uh, she doesn't feel like a go-between between her parents. Like she's a pawn being thrown back and forth. You know, no, I, I there's know. there's been times where Kelly's had soccer games and, and after the games I would go back to her mom's house and me and Kelly would kick the ball around in the backyard. Mm-hmm. I mean, that that's just the – it's a level of comfort that I've – that. 
I want to make sure my daughter has. Now, with that being said, as a single man now, it is very hard for most women to understand my relationship between me and her mom and that we do get along so well, but there's never anything there. Um, But going back to the conversation. Hell, I'm having a hard time understanding it myself. (laughs) Go on. (laughs) But But it works. But it's always with Kelly in mind is to make sure that she sees her 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 mom and dad get along so what what was this conversation that you weren't prepared for oh yeah i threw you off track i'm not gonna get into specific details i'll let you use your own imagination so um kelly had reached a certain point in her life where mother nature kind of took over and i was sent a text message (laughs) please don't go there because god forbid my daughter ever sees this i don't want to embarrass her but um she was her mom texts me. I had a conversation with her over the phone. I asked her, well, how's Kelly handling it? How is she doing with it? Yeah. Is she okay? Is she embarrassed? And she said, no, she understands. We already have the talk, yada, yada, yada. Mm-hmm. So we, um, the second time I pick up my daughter, this was about a month later after she started, and uh, she was, was on her period for the first time with me. And I'm so proud of you. You just said it. I know. So... <laughs> Kelly gets in the car and it was like very nonchalantly tells me, oh, hey, dad, you know, I got to do this, that and yet, you know, when it comes to this. And uh, oh, by the way, we need to stop at the store and you don't need to pick up some more before we go back home. Mm-hmm. It was a conversation I was not prepared for, completely blindsided me. And I'm just st- I'm like holding on to the steering wheel and I'm just like. Did she really just have this open of a conversation with me? But you know what that taught me? That taught me that my daughter trusts me enough to have those kind of personal conversations. And it also reminded me how well and how good my relationship is with her. And that's something that I hope that, you know, my friends have got those kind of relationships with their kids to where they can come to you and open up. Because I tell you what, I couldn't do that with my mom. Yeah, when I was going yeah, through I was all my say, shit, this is, this is fantastic that you're able to d- have that kind of relationship with her, even despite right. everything else that's happened. So it, it, it's just seeing the progress throughout my life and my relationship with my daughter. I'm able to undo a lot of things that I went through. Yeah, and life is about having the ability to not make the same mistakes twice, or the ones that our parents made. Oh Jesus, I'm you would still think. Gonna make, well, I'm still <laughs> going to make mistakes. I'm still going to falter at times. But we're human, and and it's okay for us to to slip up. I mean, as long as we learn something from it. it's okay so yeah i mean that's kind of my relationship with her mom and and where it's at today so so how do you how do you handle um discipline and and that kind of thing with her kelly has never really been a problem child which i was a huge problem child for my mom which almost kind kind of scares the living shit out of me to be honest with you at 11 years old i can think back to the things that i did um, and seeing where she's at now, she's, she's very, um, mindful. She has manners. Kelly yep. does at 11 years old. I could hardly hold you responsible for the things that you did. <laughs> right. You but, but what I'm saying is, is that my daughter is very polite. Anybody who's ever met her, it's, it's yes, ma'am. It's, you know, it, it's Mr. Daniel. It's, you know, whoever it is, that's something that I've instilled in her. The same thing that my grandfather did with me. Mm-hmm. That's how you acknowledge people is yes, ma'am. No, ma'am. Yes, sir. No, sir. Yeah. Things of that the nature. Southern, Southern charm and manners. Uh, right. Yeah. But, you know, anybody who has ever been around Kel will tell you the exact same thing. She's a very good kid. 
um, which I've never had any problems out of her. Although we are starting to get into the teenage years, are so you that's telling yet to me that you've never had to spank this child? No. Are you never. telling me that it's not necessary to spank children? To oh no, raise no, them no, right. no, no! Because trust me, I had a, I've had the belt across my ass a few times, and it straightened me up. But I will tell you this: Kelly has never been that kind of child. Thank God, because I don't think I could ever bring myself to be able to spank her. Um, I have very large hands, and I can only imagine the yeah. damage that could do let's to her. Not. So let's, let's not. Let's just not. Yeah. So thank God I was blessed with that child that, that has been absolutely no, no, wonderful. No, so. no. You got it all wrong, man. <laughs> she was raised as a decent person. Right. She didn't have to undergo a lot of the trauma. She did. Um, yeah, she doesn't have the, the Damocles sword of a, of, a, of a belt whooping always constantly overhanging her head. Um, yeah. Yeah, uh, uh, we're going to have to have a conversation about spanking at some point in the future, but um, just suffice it to say that um, I don't do that with my kids. Um, yeah. I used to because that's how my parents did it. And ever since it's changed, um, our relationship has also improved. That's good. Exponentially. Not just a little bit, like yeah. exponentially. And it's it's hugely evident. The same way your daughter's very well-mannered mm-hmm. and behaved. We just went on a, a, a float down the river with a, a friend of mine from work and uh he came back to work tuesday and he, he actually pointed that out to us like your kids were really well behaved like you asked them to do something and they, and they did it without no back talk or no like yeah so i, I was just curious i was just well i have found how, that how, you, how you handle her with that i i don't believe in discipline to that nature i mean unless she is totally out of control um then i may have to take other avenues but i have always been able to pull her to the side sit her down, talk to her and say, why did you do that? Okay. Now this is the effects of what you just did. Mm -hmm. This is, this is how it affect other people, including yourself and me. You need to learn something from this, but because I have such a deep voice and because when I elevate that voice at times, it could be a little intimidating. intimidating. Mm -hmm. So, and I, and I know this about myself and I know when I do raise my voice a little bit, it's intimidating for her and she quickly kind of snaps too and she's like oh okay well yeah what's going on dad what's what's up you know that's what she does so it gets you know it gets her attention and then i'll sit her down and then bring my voice down and say hey we need to talk about this what yeah are you no doing shit here? just what talk to doing? your kids yeah absolutely. you know and i think that's the problem with a lot of you know maybe parenting today is that we don't take the time to actually sit down and talk to our children um i have always kept that dialogue open with you know between me and kelly that if you need to talk to me i'm here for you doesn't matter yeah. Not talk day. to them, spend time with them. Yeah. Actually, you know, yeah, that's that's makes a huge difference. <laughs> I mean, it really does. Plan activities with them. Let mm-hmm. them plan activity. You know, just actually act like they matter in your life. Like that's probably the, <laughs> the most important thing we can probably get from this whole conversation. Just well, act like your kids matter in your life and, and treat them right. Kelly forgot that it was Father's Day this this past June. Oh, hell, beat the hell out of her. Fuck, right. fuck everything else I just said. <laughs> <laughs> so what I did was I, I gave her my debit card. Your, your child said, is a devil child. I'm just saying. <laughs> <laughs> so I, I gave her my debit card and I said, look, I said, you take my debit card and you take me on the date that you want to take me on. And you do, you buy me whatever you want to buy, no mm-hmm. expenses at all. Just do what you want to do for me. You know, she doesn't understand that it's still my money. You know, obviously I'm, I'm buying my own gifts and taking myself out to eat, but it's given her the ability to feel like that she can do something for me, Yeah. you know, and that's what was important. A little bit of empowerment. Right. Yeah. And I wanted her to feel like that, even though she forgot about Father's Day, I was giving her an opportunity to kind of reclaim that. 
And that's what it's about with our children is that we have to find different ways to make them feel that they still are important, but you know, they also want to do things for us, you know? And of course, with this whole apartment situation that I'm going through, I've got a one bedroom now. So there's been times where when I've had Kelly, it's like, all right, well, let's camp out in the living room. Let's, you know, do something to make this fun. <laughs> yeah, and entertaining. Yeah, yeah. Do something different. And yeah. she's so resilient because she understands that life happens sometimes. And mm-hmm. I, and I kind of sat her down. I explained to her the whole situation with the apartment. She was fine with it. Um, but yeah, now things are obviously going in a better direction. I have not seen her since my accident. Um, I will get her this weekend. Um, my folks will be here. So, you know, there's going to be some questions that she'll have as far as, you know, my, you know the way my face looks. But yeah, Especially um, if they see this. Oh, I know, right? Yeah. So my mom may not even come up after this episode. Be, be prepared for some conversations, <laughs> sir. Which, which, I mean, I mean, if, uh, it, but listen, I mean, I mean, I'm not trying to, you know, just rag on people or nothing like yeah. that. I'm just trying to, I, I, I really, honest to goodness, believe in holding people responsible for the decisions and taking yeah. responsibility for their actions, you know? Right. And, and the more, the more you can do that, that empowerment thing you're talking about that you're trying to, you know, offer your daughter, that's, that's a huge, huge change. I mean, if, if you can sit there and go, wow, I, I really do have some kind of impact in my world things don't just happen to me i don't just you know happen to end up in these relationships with shitty people like i can make decisions that's great mm-hmm. um I, th- I think if a lot more people would take on that that mindset that we might actually see some some huge pr- progress towards something more positive especially when it comes to raising kids like quit quit, t- quit telling yourself all these lies about you know how i just life happens to me just it's what it is you know let's, let's stop yeah it's uh, uh it's, it's so frustrating hearing people talk like that and it's like no dude you made a decision right yeah it was a shitty one but you made a decision you had the power to choose it to begin to begin with and you have the power to change it now it's like right. you have the power like own that yeah so kind of where i'm at today with things is you know i I've got a great relationship with my daughter and you know, the relationship with my father is still yet to be kind of determined. You know, him and I have are very opinionated individuals. He has his uh, beliefs on religion, politics and whatever else. But you know, we've also learned too, when we talk to each other over the phone or see each other in public, we try to, we try not to dive into those conversations. Um, Shit. Yeah. More landmines you can't step on. Well, no, I mean, it's, trust me, it's for the better. And, you know, I need to kind of really focus on other areas of my life with my father rather than just political things and um, religion topics and things of that nature. And I, I need to really kind of start building on something with him. Yeah. Um, I have never given my father a fair chance to really do that. And, you know, that's, that's an acceptance thing for me that I have to be able to start, you know, start accept is the fact that he is my father. Um, he's the only father I have. So I need to establish some kind of relationship and let him say what he needs to say, get it out there and have that relationship. But the most important thing is, you know, he couldn't have a relationship with me, mm-hmm. but he has the opportunity to have one with Kelly, his granddaughter. And that's something we kind of discussed and covered. And I told him, I said, look, I said, that's, that's you, true. you may not be able to, to recover the past with what happened with me, mm-hmm. but at least you have the opportunity. She's 11 years old. You can have that relationship. And I have never denied my father the right to have Kelly at any point in time. And I've told him that. I said, if you want to get her, you're more than welcome to, you know, and I've, I've put that out there for him. What he chooses to do with that is completely up to him. If he chooses not to see her, spend time with her. I can't do anything about that. 
I'm yeah. just making sure that he has an opportunity that he didn't have with me when I was growing up, but he has it with his granddaughter. Yeah, at least he as far as at least as far as you know, he didn't have an opportunity. Well, I'm just saying, from here on out, he has that opportunity. He's always had it. You yeah. know, if if he wants to get Kelly for a week for spring break, fall break, summer break, whatever. Hey, call me up and say I want to come get my granddaughter. By all means, take her. So him him re-entering your life has been still relatively recent then. No, okay. Like, so how, how, how long are we talking here? Let me kind of remind the, the tracks back on this. Um, back in 2000, um, my dad, and actually it was 2001, my dad had decided that he was going to come up to Tennessee and surprise me and my sister. Mm-hmm. I had not seen my dad in a very long time. My mom even contacted my dad and said, look, this whole surprise and Anthony shit ain't going to fly. You're going to piss him off. You guys are going to have problems. Sure enough, you know, him and I had, you know, a bit of an argument and, you know, he, he kind of took it in the kitchen and, and I told him, I said, where the fuck have you been for the last 20 years of my life? You're, you're just yeah, showing just, up on my, sh- yeah, on my right. doorstep. Um, like you're supposed to just openly embrace it. <laughs> no, I, 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 I didn't at first. It was uh, I mean, really he, hard I mean, he, for me he to He showed stand. up like, like as if you're supposed to just go, Dad, how you been? Yeah, no. I <laughs> what think did he think he, was going to happen? No, I think he knew that, but but I think he also realized that's something he had to do. And looking back at it now, I, I, I understand that. You know, he had to he had to come to terms with the fact that his son was going to be angry with him, but he needed to start somewhere. And that somewhere was by showing up. It wasn't a phone call. It wasn't an email. It wasn't a text. It wasn't any of that. It was, you know, hey, I'm on. I'm here. This is starting point. And now that I look back on it, that's what he did. And of course, at that time, I didn't see it that way. I saw it as, you know, you fucking asshole. Where have you been all my life? You know, I don't want anything to do with you. I had a lot of resentment towards my father. Yeah, sure. Those are understandable and, uh, questions. I mean, right. So. They were here for a couple of days. It was him and uh, my uncle and his wife and their newborn. Um, you know, we took him around, you know, Nashville for a few days. He went back to he went back to Georgia's where he was living at the time. And we were invited to come down for an annual family reunion on my dad's mm-hmm. side of the family, which I I see pictures of me and my sister with my family in Georgia on my dad's side, but I've I've just I don't remember them. Um, so for me, this truly was an essence of meeting my family on my dad's side for the very first time back in 2001. So September rolls around, I'm meeting everybody, hitting off relationships with my aunts, my cousins, my uncles, even with my own father. I became particularly close to one of my cousins, Kelly, and you'll see where all this ties in. So became very close with my cousin Kelly and she became a very, very prominent fixture in my life in a short amount of time. We became very close. We were close in age and Christmas was coming up. So I wanted to spend Christmas with my dad's side of the family for the very first time. Mm-hmm. I wanted to experience that big family, that big holiday tradition and be around with everybody. I just wanted to embrace that. So at that time, as we we're approaching, you know, December, my car's in the shop. So I, I contacted Kelly and I said, hey, I said, you know, my car's in the shop. Um, is there any way that you can come up to Tennessee and come get me? And I said, please, just come up here and get me. I want to come down. I want to see everybody for the first time for Christmas. I just want that. She said, no, Anthony, I can't do it. I've got to work. I'm in retail. It's very hard for me to get off. And we kind of went back and forth for several weeks until finally she said, okay, fine. I'll come get you. 
I said, okay, well, here's my hours at the place I was working at. She said, but before I come up there, I've got to stop in Augusta to see my father and get some things. So she turned this trip into one where she was going to leave Augusta and then she was going to head this way. Mm-hmm. Um, the, the 14th of December, I had talked to her that morning. She sent me an email and she said, hey, um, I'm, you know, I'm headed that way. And I had worked that night and I told her, I said, okay, well, just I'll see you when I get home. I don't like where this is going. It's not good. Um, so I worked that night and then that morning I was, I was like prepping to get off. I was excited to see my cousin. We were supposed to show around, you know, Nashville and, you know, we were supposed to have a great time and then we were supposed to go back to Georgia and spend Christmas with the family and all this other stuff. And, and, um, my mom shows up at work. Mm-hmm. And at that time, her and I both worked at the same company. And she said, clock out, put your tools up, come see me in my office. And I said, what the hell's going on? And I kind of looked at my mom, and she had this glaze over her eyes. And I was like, something's just not right. So I go into her office, or, excuse me, her office, and she sits down. And um, she sits down, and she proceeds to tell me that Kelly was in a car accident. And I said, okay, how, how bad? How bad's the accident? Um, it killed her. Um, she, uh, I'm sorry. She was going through a construction zone, and from, from what I've been told, she uh, was in a horrific accident uh, that involved an asphalt truck. She never apparently looked like she never saw the brake lights, and and uh, she went up underneath the asphalt truck and it went 65 and, and it, uh, yeah, it was bad. So, yeah. um, so I kind of gathered myself and the day that we were supposed to show up to Georgia to spend Christmas with everybody was also the same day that we laid her to rest. Um, she was only 20 years old. Yeah, so and you did get to go down and see them still? No, I, I went down for the funeral, and then Christmas just was not the Christmas I sure. had in my mind. Oh, yeah, this, sure. was a, this was my first Christmas with my dad's side of the family that right. I never I – have, I have not been back down to Georgia to spend a Christmas with my family since that time. Um, for probably a good chunk of, I don't know, 10 years, because this happened December 15th back in 2001, um, for a good portion – of about maybe 10 years, I struggled with it because I felt very much um, responsible for her death. Right. Talking her into coming up here to get me. Had I not done that, she never would have, I felt like she never would have came up this direction. Um, so that kind of really took me down a path of, de- of depression that I was not ready for. And when you have that guilt and when you look at your aunt, her mom, um, it just, it tore me to pieces. Like I, I didn't even know what to do. I, I couldn't even know what to say, you know? And, and it's just, uh, you know, people tell me all the time, you know, it's not your fault. You couldn't have predicted what was going to happen, but you can't tell that to somebody who feels that responsible for talking to somebody and to come into Tennessee right. to get you for Christmas. And when they have kind of fought you back and said, Hey, I can't get the time off. But then she was able to make it happen. Yeah. And you kind of feel like if you hadn't said anything, she still would be in Georgia. And 
there always would have been I, next I can, Christmas. I can, I can, I can totally understand that. I mean, there's, there's, I'm sure there's also a number of other sequence of events that if it didn't happen, then she yeah. wouldn't, you know, I mean, she still did ultimately make the decision to, to drive down and sorry to hear that, man. Yeah. It's uh that's part of my life. I don't really kind of share because it's, it's a, uh, it was a depression factor. It was something that I ended up having to go to therapy for and kind sure. of deal with, oh, kind yeah. of work out. And, and, um, and this was in this was in two thousand one. Yeah. So. So you were what twenty one, twenty two, something like that. Yeah, and that was right around the time that I had just uh, I met uh, Kelly's mom for the first time, mm-hmm. and I was still in and out of swinger clubs and and sex parties. So I kind of drowned myself. You know, alcohol and yeah, sex. And alcohol and, and sex, and I, I just really kind of immersed myself into that to kind of numb it all, and so I didn't have to think about it. I felt like if I the more I was fucked up and the more I was in a different kind of lifestyle, it couldn't affect me. It couldn't play who I was. It couldn't, it couldn't touch me. You know what I'm saying? So a coping, as a hell of a coping mechanism for sure. Right. But that was, that was my way of dealing with it. And, um, so you probably didn't know any better (laughs) or didn't didn't know any other way of dealing with it. No, I didn't. And you know, that was my reality. That was, that was my escape from my reality of having to deal with the fact that I just lost my cousin and my relationship, you know, with my dad's side of the family is, it, it's been good, but it's never been close. Um, yeah. I don't know. It, it's just kind of hard to explain, but so you know. to pick back up your dad's storyline, um, you said 2001, he comes and visits and then you were going to go see them for Christmas. And then is that relationship kind of just kept going since then just little by little or just slowly um, like how, how, like what happened? During the time, uh, the whole situation with Kelly, with Kelly's death, um, my dad was busted for um, using drugs. He was locked up again, right at the same time that we were going through all this with my family, with Kelly's death. And that for me just really put a wedge. It put a deciding factor for me that my dad hasn't grown up. He hasn't changed his ways. Right. And to put my family through this and especially, you know, his brothers and sisters and his mom through it during the death of a family member, I, I, I did not respect. I had a lot of anger issues because of that towards him. Um, as far as I was being kind of selfish. Well, (laughs) I, 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 I don't know. I mean, that's, that's something my dad would have to tell you, but, um, for me personally, how it affected me. Right. Um, it bothered me. It really did. And what my dad chooses to do with his life is completely up to him. But when you bring in your family and when it affects other people, I have a problem with that. Yeah. And, you know, obviously this was a long time ago. My dad's not like that anymore. But, you know, again, it's one of the situations where nobody had ever thought to ask me or my sister, how did, you know, your actions and your behaviors ever affect your children? That was never asked. Yeah. That's the problem, you know, and, and, you know, now obviously me and my dad have had that conversation. We have a long way to go and I'm very optimistic that, you know, there will be good conversations to be had between me and my father. And, um, you know, and it's crazy because I think about the, the life that I've led the places that I've been, the things that I've done, you know, I often, you know, people often ask me, how, how are you involved with so much charity work when, you know, <laughs> when, when you've, when you've kind of lived a totally different life and, you know, yeah. I kind of get into that, but, um, cause I really don't get it from my mom or my dad. I, I, I honestly, I get it from my aunt Nettie. 
um, my aunt Nettie is on my dad's side of the family and she started uh, a brief program. It's for uh, children with disabilities and handicaps. Um, actually, I should say adults and children. So if so, there was anything, sorry, you said it was your mom's sister, your aunt? No, no, my dad's da- sister. Your dad's sister. My dad's okay. sister. So if there was one relationship that I had actually admired the most throughout all this was my aunt Nettie. Mm-hmm. Um, seeing what she's gone through with her child, with with having a disability, and then seeing the impact that she's had on so many other people throughout life, you know, and and uh, the significant real changes that she has made is what led me to be involved with Tennessee for Families and to kind of bring it to where it's at today. Um, obviously with a lot of help of other people, but you know, um, here recently that's kind of changed, but you know, so. So moving, moving forward, like what kind of, like in a perfect world, what would you imagine your relationship with your parents would be like if, if, if everything went a hundred percent your way, how you imagine it, what would that look like for you? Um, with my mom to be a little bit more, to be a little bit um, not so aggressive towards me and, and with my sister, you know, um, I do wish for that. As far as my father's concerned, um, he has every opportunity right now to make the best of his relationship with me, my sister, and both of his grandchildren, mm-hmm. um, my sister's you know, son, and you know, obviously my daughter. He, he has that green light. What he chooses to do with it will be completely up to him. I can't. I'm just talking hypothetically. What would, well, no, no. What I mean, would it? <laughs> I would, in a perfect world, I would like to see him have my daughter more, spend more time with him, be a, be a grandparent. And develop a relationship with I'm not worried so her. much about my relationship between me and my father anymore as I am more concerned about my relationship with my daughter and mm-hmm. her grandpa. That's what's important to me because I remember the relationship I had with my grandfather. Right. Does that make sense? And it was a very positive. It was a very positive, thing for very, you. very good thing in my life. And I want that same experience for my dad. Do you think your dad's capable of providing that? I don't know. That's yet to be determined. I, I really don't know. I can't give you an answer on that. I'd yeah. like to think so, but the proof is going to be in his actions. You know, we can sit here and talk all day. Yeah, I'm going to do this. But reality is I need to see it. Yeah. And just and real talk for a minute um, with given the past history with uh, alcohol, uh, alcohol abuse and drug abuse. Do you feel like it's a safe place for her to be? Or would um, it have to be more of a supervised scenario? No, I don't have any fear with my daughter being around my dad. No. Um, he's been sober for eight years now. Um, he's also been smoke free, I think for five or six years. So he's made a lot of significant changes in his life. Yeah, These are just some concerns that I would. No, no, no. Trust me. me. Those are, those are, those (laughs) are roads I've already traveled down (laughs) to, you know, to, to think about. But as far as I'm concerned, um, I have no reservations. I have, I have nothing to be concerned about when it comes to, I trust my dad and that's big for me. I've never trusted my father. So when it comes to my daughter, I would always hope that he would have the best intentions to make sure that she is well protected and she's taken care of. So I don't have any I don't have any reservations with that. Right. I really don't. Um so going back to 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 my aunt, you know, um and with Tennessee for families, yeah, you know, that was probably the most positive experience that I was able to gain from the relationship of all my family members on my mm-hmm. dad's side. And it's one that I've been very blessed to have and just kind of watch her program, her, 
you know, nonprofit really take off and seeing what she's done with the Tim Tebow Foundation and the Night to Shine. They have a prom for, you know, for adult special needs, you know, children and adults. And and it's a very wonderful feeling where her heart is and where my heart is. And it's like it's the coolest thing in the world because we have so many visions between the two of us. And we've had many conversations about where we want to go with things. Man, um, it's kind of it's kind of it's kind of interesting like um that that resilience you talked about your daughter having i i right. think i think you possess that same resilience in, in, a, in a way too because you know it's like out of all the shit that you went through and all the crap you had to suffer like you still have this couple sparks of really good people you saw in your life that you were able to hang on to and and use those as and, and recognize them as positive role mm-hmm. models to to strive to be like and mm-hmm. It's, it's like I think I think you do possess a lot of the same traits as your own daughter does, and she probably well, gets that from you in some way. Well, for me, it's always I've always kind of gravitate towards children. Children are big for me. I've had not the best childhood, but I don't ever want to see kids suffer. Kids are very important to me. I've spent a lot of time with different organizations, giving back. I've spent a lot of time up at Vanderbilt Children's Hospital. Mm-hmm. Um, I've met a lot of kids up there and been very blessed and fortunate to be in certain situations where I was able to give back so much to the community, especially in Nashville, not Wilson County, but in Nashville. A lot of projects was you know, Mission 615 and Boys and Girls Club. I mean, I can go on and go on, but my heart has always been for others because I don't, if I can try to make somebody else's day a little bit better right. knowing what I've gone through, then I've accomplished what I've set out to do, and that's to give you somewhat of a better day. And that's kind of always been my premise behind what I do with helping people. Unfortunately, here recently, that's been kind of misconstrued through a lot of the different projects that I've currently have done. So I have felt like my heart is no longer where it needs to be with Tennessee for Families. Um, You know, I've, I've given it a lot of thought, and because of the area that I'm in now with being in Murfreesboro and um, you know, the travel back and forth to Lebanon and Mount Juliet all the time, it's just way too much. You know, when we did Texas, that was an incredible thing. And that's what I want people to know is, is that, you know, we helped a lot of people. And, and if it wasn't for all the people that came together collectively to be able to help so many, right. what we did wouldn't have been possible. Tennessee for Families is not a one-man show, never will be. It's collectively done as a group, and that's it. Yeah, it has to uh, be. It has to be. <laughs> yeah. And... I, I will always encourage people to always, you know, when people from Tennessee for Families ask to step up to, to for, you know, for people to help, I'm always going to encourage you to please help them out. I'm going in a different direction in my life. Um, I, I need to do something that I've got more creative control over. Um, I want to take my giving back and what I've seen my aunt do and what I've seen what Tennessee for families has the possibilities of doing and becoming, I wanted to make it my own. I, I, and and I, I don't say that in a selfish way. I just, people don't know my heart and that's okay. They don't know what I've been through and that's fine. But I want to be able to share my experience with what I want to do in life with people who share the same visions, the same ideas Mm -hmm. and the same heart. That's what I want to do. And, I can't tell you what it's like for me to be around those people. I'm not saying they're not with Tennessee for families. Yeah. Logistically. I, and I, I can tell as far as, you know, that goes is that you're the kind of person that's going to be able to pull it off. You're the one that's like going to take action. If you say you're going to do something, you're going to do it. You know? Well, it, logistically, <laughs> so if anybody it, can do it, it's going to be you. Well, and I appreciate that. But logistically, it didn't make sense 
with me living in Murfreesboro, with the the core foundation of where Tennessee for Families is based out of is Wilson County, the logistics behind it didn't make sense. And as I've said, and I reiterate that if you think about it, you know I couldn't drive. It's thirty eight miles one way. Yeah, it's a lot of driving. So let, so. let me try. Let me try to uh, see. Maybe is there is there any other thing that we haven't touched on that you want to make sure to to talk about tonight before we wrap up no i think that's pretty much it i i think the extent of it was uh it was kind of in the premise of kind of what i went through with my childhood and kind of where i'm at today you know and and you know i, I know we can probably talk about more but i mean what's not to say we can't do another show now what, sure what, what I, I think would, we covered everything well and, and i would like <laughs> to close out with this we live in a society today where people don't look after one another we don't check on one another. And I've kind of talked about this in a video that I've done. And when I went through my experience with, with being burned, it was pretty bad. And I don't think people quite understand the extent of what I went through and how much Emotion, how painful. Em, emotionally. Well, I mean, obvious, obviously physically. physically too, but you know, but there, it, was a, there was an emotional element that went along with it as well. When I went through this, it really kind of opened my eyes. Not well. I it kind of closed it for one day. If you want to be, be a smart ass about it, but <laughs> I was not going to go there. You yes, you were. No, I, I wasn't. You, were. <laughs> um, you got me. <laughs> <laughs> I know you well, Daniel. But uh, I tell you what, it um, it made me realize a lot of things about myself and the people I surround myself with. Mm -hmm. um, people that were there for me um, were there. People I thought that were going to be there for me never showed up, and that's okay. Um, life is about change. Life is about decision makings. Life is about purging people that no longer bring anything to the table. I have no hard feelings towards those people. I yeah. wish them well, but the life I'm going in the direction I want to go is far greater than the purpose you serve. Mm -hmm. You know, a lot of people in friendships today, they, they, they have a personal agenda. They want something from you. I don't want anything from you, but your heart, be a good person. Be a good role model. Yeah. Be a good parent. <laughs> Get back to the community. Make the world a better place. Just yeah. be a decent individual. Mm -hmm. Now, we all have our faults. We all have our hangups. We all have our mishaps. Not and, me, bro. And, yeah, you know, Not you're, me, you're bro. perfect. I'm but fucking perfect. The point I'm trying to make is, is that... <laughs> As you get older, you start to develop and you start to understand what that small circle starts to mean to you. Yeah. And there's, I have a lot of acquaintances, I have a lot of friends, but I don't have a lot of close friends. And I, and I prefer to keep it that way. There's a lot of good people out there. But as I move on to other projects in my life, these are things that I need to be able to have in order for me to excel with future projects that I do with what I'm going to launch next year. And I want genuine hearts. I, that's all I want. I don't, your friendship is going to be there, but I just want you as a decent human being that if I know if I needed something or if you needed something, I, I'm going to be there. Yeah. That is something that is so lost in this society today. And it's something I didn't have growing up. I didn't have anybody there for me when I was called a nigger. I didn't have anybody there for me when I went through the shit that I went through. Right. But I tell you what, when I went through this accident, I had more people reaching out to me than I've ever had before. It was mind blowing. It's like, <laughs> and you're wow. like, wait, whoa. <laughs> it's like, I did not expect that. Right. I didn't expect that. And it, and it was a very, it was a very comforting feeling to know that people had my back. It, it seemed like, it seemed like for a minute there, you kind of went through a real dark moment <laughs> in the middle of it. And then maybe once, that's you, okay, once, you, once you saw, once you saw that other people were like reaching out and, you know, give a shit, you know, basically. 
that dark moment's to be expected. We're all going to go through one. I mean, no matter what the situation calls for, we're going to, it's okay for us to have a dark moment, Yeah, yeah. but it's to always make sure that we don't allow others to slip further into that dark moment. Yeah. I, yeah, I guess that's what I was saying is if, you know? is, is if what well, I can't even imagine if you, you know, you've already had suicide attempts in the past. Yeah. I mean, uh, imagining if you did have that dark moment and then there was nobody there. To, yeah, to say, and, hey, hey, it's cool, dude. <laughs> and I've been we very, love you. You're, I, you're, <laughs> you're yeah, good. I've been very fortunate and blessed in my life recently to have the people that I do. Mm. I can't thank my friends enough. I can't thank my family enough. Um, you know, with my family not being here, you know, my friends really kind of showed up and rallied around me, you know, during what happened here recently. And it, it was easier for my mom and my dad to, to say, you know what, you know, he's got a great core of people there with him he's yeah. going to be okay so well i think that's a good note to wrap up on um if if you all like this kind of thing and you want to see more of it i would definitely love to do more of them because i really think you know we can talk about politics all day long we can talk about all sorts of we're still human yeah, we all go through yeah that, i mean we we, en- we enjoy talking about you know all, all the latest you know debacle trump's done or the russian scan i you know yeah those are fun topics to talk about but when you get right down to it we're still people we're fathers we're friends yeah and, and we don't have control over that we, yeah. we don't we don't have any control over that you know, if any, we have zero control. So basically what I like to do, what I would like to do is have, you know, more focus on conversations with people like you telling your story, having those conversations and, and, and having them in such a way that you can actually take something away from it and use that to to impact your own life. Like, like this is like, I don't know how many people are going to end up watching this and seeing what you went through. And, and and they'll hear us talking about the different things that went that went down and they'll be able to connect the dots in their own lives and be able to start having those conversations with people and saying, hey, you know, I, I don't really have, a, you know, good conversations with people around me. I should probably do that. And I think that's that's another thing. that's well, hugely the th- missing. The thing so. for me is, is, is we're, we are so the people today of we won't we don't want to bother people with our problems. So and this is something I've often I've often thought about is. Put it out there. Make a video. Share your story. Yeah. Educate others about what you've been through. You're not putting that burden on them. You're not, you know, m- making yourself feel like that you're dumping everything onto them. You know, by the videos that I posted, it's to put it out there. What you choose to do with it is completely up to you. Yeah. But it's my way of of kind of letting that 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 guard down to say, you know what, I'm just as human as you. I go through the same bullshit, right. if not worse. But I'm okay, and you will be too, and that's fine. We're all human. All right, brother. I sure appreciate you coming yeah, on. It's always been a pleasure. Okay. Next time we get back to the political <laughs> stuff. Oh, yeah. <laughs> yeah. The stuff that really time. matters. <laughs> All right, y'all. Have All a good right. one. Take care. Wow, was that not the best ideagasm you've ever had? Want to do it again? Go to unframeofmind.com to find more mind-stretching, world-altering podcasts, videos, and articles, and get those critical thinking juices flowing.